0: Imagine if you talked to three coaches from three different parts of the world who are all on different stages of their own coaching journey. One who's starting out in business, another who's been coaching for four or five years and works with army veterans, and another whom despite having 18 years of experience is effectively finding herself having to start again, having had to move countries due to political unrest
1: The last year and a half or so, I began to do it over Skype or Zoom, depending, because there was a lot of uh, protesting in uh, in the streets. So it was kind of dangerous to to go from my house to my client's office or so. Sometimes my clients didn't get out of their house to go to work because of the protests, but we could speak over the internet.
0: In this episode, they share their learnings and experiences in an effort to help those travelling similar paths. These are their stories.
2: Welcome to the Curious Coach podcast. So buckle up as we travel around and explore the world of coaching. Here's your host and professional coach, Stephen Clements.
0: First up, we head to Dallas in the United States of America to meet Josh. My name is Josh
3: Daniel, and I'm actually a career coach. So I work specifically with men and women in professional transitions. I come from a background that's mostly involved in training and development, starting back in the U.S. Army. And since then, I've really explored a lot of the L&D models and different capacities in both for-profit and nonprofit environments. Probably about three years ago, I was introduced to the more standard coaching model. Uh, I got my credentials through the ICF, International Coach Federation, and University of Texas at Dallas. Uh, And now I've gotten to really combine the career coaching with more of the resource development for those in transition, and it's been really successful.
0: As Josh works with people in transitions, I was curious about how he found his own transition from the learning and development area into coaching. You, You know, there are a
3: lot of commonalities. I mean, anything within those helping professions, you'll see a lot of transferable knowledge I think the biggest one is this, that disconnect of going from that area of, you know, in the traditional model of teaching or training, you know, and you're sharing knowledge with people who do not know. And with coaching, it's very much so that partnership. So I think it's more of a mental shift than anything, but I found it to be pretty easy for those already in the field. With the clients I was working with, I think coaching is still a little bit of a new term and not everyone is as familiar with how it works and how it differs from other models. So... For me in my transition, my my environment made it somewhat easier, but I still saw that barrier with those less familiar with the model.
0: Josh works as a full-time coach for a nonprofit, helping to diversify IT talent in the technology space. However, drawing on his own experience, he's also passionate about helping veterans who are transitioning out of the military.
3: Really helps you understand and build that rapport quickly if they know that you're coming from a place of of familiar background. Um, It's obviously not required. I know a lot of people who are very successful, even in the military coaching uh, with no military experience. But personally, I found it to be a really easy way to quickly build rapport with those I'm working with just because they know I share a very similar background.
0: However, leveraging your own areas of expertise isn't without some challenges as well having really deep
3: domain knowledge or industry experience it, you hear it said a lot by professional coaches and, and i saw it firsthand it can really be a liability to really adapt to the correct coaching model and staying out of that place of advice giving and training you know w- without sugarcoating it I, th- I think that was one of my biggest barriers uh when i was very fresh into this is i immediately wanted to go into that area of like yeah i've seen this before i've, I've done it before and here's how to fix it uh, and that's really counterproductive. So it is something.
0: Josh is now a professionally certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and I was curious how important the ICF and credentialing was to him as he started out. Yeah. So uh, so starting out, probably probably not as much as I should have
3: appreciated, just because throughout learning about it, I, I kind of was in more depth of of what coaching really was. So I was learning about coaching and learning to coach almost simultaneously. Uh, But as of now, I think it's great, not just for the increased credibility. As coaching takes off in popularity, then more and more coaches pop up as well. And it's a great way of showcasing that. The modes and model that I'll be coaching are going to be also ICF. Uh, But in the very beginning, I, I really wasn't familiar until I started the training directly with UT Dallas. That was my introduction to coaching as well as the ICF and that model. Outside of just the traditional aspect of it, I think it's also great just to have those chapters local. You get to show up and be around people who, who are coaches themselves. I think it's just that, that kind of similar to that proximity principle. You surround yourself by people who are in the field and you can't help but to share resources and share information and questions. That, that in itself, I think, is just as big a benefit as, as the more traditional one.
0: Like every profession, professional coaches will have their own challenges as they grow and develop. I asked Josh, what was his current challenge? Within coaching
3: itself, it's probably how difficult it is to mentally reset between clients. uh, One of the skill sets really good coaches have is that when they hang up the phone and they move on to the next, they completely reset. And they're fully prepared with no baggage from the last call or with with no overlapping assumption or or even mood. Uh, And that's really not easy to get. It kind of takes some whether it's meditation or whether it's some mental exercises to be able to fully just hit that reset button every single new call, uh, and that, that's not easy to do. I'm still trying to master it a little bit. There are times where I'll have to take a walk or have a kind of offline conversation just to kind of get myself that palate cleanser. And uh, I think people don't give it enough credit, but the really good coaches who can do it—they're they're the standouts. I think that's the difference. Right now, I have coaching as kind of the primary focus is the career readiness and the advancement and the coaching aspect um but working in a nonprofit also tends to be fairly data driven and very important to keep track of all the reporting as well for compliance sake uh, so i try my best to to have some of those more administrative or note-keeping tasks between my sessions and for me almost working with an excel is my mental reset like there's, there's not so much you can do other than just fill in every cell and for me that's kind of been the useful tool for myself but going forward I'd love to kind of internalize that and not be so reliant on those tasks because there are times that might be back to back or I might not have that availability.
0: It also struck me how there's a parallel going on for Josh and his clients. Whilst he deals with clients going through transitions, he himself has also transitioned his own coaching business as he started out in one particular niche, but has segmented into adjacent and complementary areas.
3: I first started off with a very specific niche of military service members transitioning from their military to their civilian careers. Uh, And then from there, it expanded more to even transitioning in the civilian sector from one to the other. And then within that even, transitioning maybe from an individual contributor to a manager. And so that scope expanded in the diversity of clients, but you know a transition's a transition. People are thinking the same things. They have the same doubts. They have the same impact of imposter syndrome and, and confidence issues, regardless of where they're transitioning. So finding all those common traits and factors is kind of eye-opening, not just for the client, but for myself also. You can recognize it pretty easily of, of whether it's going from one role to the next internally or making some drastic industry shift. Those feelings are the same regardless of level, industry, age. All those topics are just nuance. A lot of people do come to it as if they're completely reinventing themselves. They're going to you know, reset, start from zero, and then build up into a new field. Uh, and in reality, that's, that's never the most successful way. People always tend to Underemphasize their transferable skills. And a lot of times some of our best conversations are taking someone's value proposition or their branding statement, going from a sales career, and they want to move it over into a career in finance. And it can be very daunting because they don't speak the jargon. They don't understand the acronyms. It's going to be a total reset. But in reality, it just takes a certain lens to look through all your past history and find and extract all those transferables. And eventually you'll find out those small little details like understanding certain key things or a certain certification, those make up maybe one-tenth of the overall duties of someone as a financial professional. And in their past, they might have called it a different name or had it in a different environment. They've probably had a lot of exposure to transferable skills that would make them extremely competitive in that field. Uh, My favorite expression is, you're no longer a sales professional transitioning into financial services. You're now a financial professional with a background supported by experience in sales. So you're saying the same thing, but it's so much more impactful when you just make that mental shift and that kind of internal branding statement. Uh, and, and you really get a lot of ahas when they find out like, oh, well, I haven't called it that, but I've done that in the past and I'm a, I can put that on my resume or I can, bring, I can make that a, a speaking point or I might go out of my way to network with people with that in my, uh, in my toolbox.
0: So, what advice would Josh have for coaches who are just starting out themselves? Oh, I would just say it's okay to to,
3: to not feel like you're good at it. Um, I, in, in my opinion, I think even even if you're a brand new coach, even a even a bad coaching session is better than no coaching session. If you're able to talk and work through it, um, at, at least for me, I was so nervous, especially to speak to you know executives in transition or, or senior managers who are doing this. Uh, A lot of it was just my own confidence. I was so afraid to put myself in the position. I missed out on opportunities to gain that exposure. So I would just say the biggest advice I would have uh, is just put the time in. No one woke up. I think that's why the ICF has our requirements for certification. Uh, People can be natural helpers, but they don't necessarily have to be natural coaches. It it takes some practice and some time. Uh, You got to put the miles in. So I would say it's okay to be bad at it. Give yourself some some area to improve and, and then make it a conscious effort after I have a coaching session. Great. I've coached that person. Now let's look more internally and what can I do to develop myself? Because everyone, even the best MCCs in the world were in the exact same position
0: and they didn't wake up one day in that position. And following on from that, I was curious whether there was anything Josh wishes someone had told him when he first started out training as a coach. I wish someone had told me all the diverse
3: ways coaching can impact a role. Uh, I I think you don't have to be a coach and have a coaching business card to benefit from having that coaching background. Whether you are a supervisor or whether you work in human resource or whether you work independently in a teaching role or consulting, being able to coach and knowing all that, you can find areas where you can utilize it. You don't necessarily have to be a 100% coach in order to find the value add of coaching. So I I think I probably would have wished I knew about all the diverse ways and and methods that coaching could benefit career paths. Um, Because as you go through training, you're going to talk to the best of the best in terms of professional coaches. And you can sometimes create this misconception that you'd have to be a full-time executive coach or or a full-time professional coach in order to get the full benefit of an ICF credential or or pursue knowledge of coaching. But in reality, this is a skill set you can use professionally, personally, with yourself, with peers. It's just so universal. I think that's why it's getting so popular, is that this is just a skeleton key that can supplement any training and development.
0: Finally, as Josh looks to the future, what's the next area for him to learn and develop himself and his business?
3: You know, Just to, just to make sure I make it very clear, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new coach. I've been doing it just for a few years now. Uh, and so most of the things I'm saying are things that I've either seen firsthand or I wish someone had told me a little bit earlier. So I I think going forward, my biggest area, I think for development is to try to increase my footprint. Currently I, I, there's a lot of unknowns and I'm not totally familiar with completely phone based coaching. I'm not totally familiar with how to market yourself independently to find more clients outside of a, a more structured coaching organization. Uh, so for me, I think it would probably be a little bit of the handhold with the business skills that go along with coaching, because I absolutely love it. I mean, there's, there's nothing I could see myself doing other than this, whether as the primary function or even just a supplement function. Uh, but there's still so many areas where I've not even scratched the surface. Even the best coaches in the world have coaches because it is so hard to identify what it is that you are, are trying to move forward with. The best doctors have doctors and the best coaches have coaches. So maybe maybe that's going to be my next step, is try to pursue professional coaching for myself to further down my journey as a coach.
0: Next up, we head to the UK and here we meet Paula. My name's Paula Sheridan. Paula spent 25 years working for a large company in a variety of roles. In addition to her day job, she found herself being drawn to people development activities, such as inclusion and diversity initiatives, and eventually training to become an internal coach. However, all that changed in 2018.
2: And then last year, 2018, a big reorganisation, my job no longer existed, which was absolutely fine. I looked at it as a new opportunity. And so I kind of said to myself, this is what you've been saying you really want to do. Um, and now you actually have the opportunity to go off and do it so stand up be brave go for it so when I left the company there was very conveniently a next round of of, um, more intense coaching training was starting with the company that I wanted to train with and so I went did that absolutely loved it and yeah that finished quite recently and so I yes I'm I'm at the point of launching myself out into the world.
0: <laughs> so launching yourself after 25 years in a large company is probably both exciting and scary.
2: Well, it, yes, it is. And it's, it's very interesting they sort of say, you know, as I'm sure you'll recognise, the training that you have to become a coach gives you a much greater self-awareness. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, it's like you sit on your own shoulder going, now, nah, what? what? What self-limiting beliefs are coming out in the fact that you're procrastinating about sending that email or making that phone call? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you sort of you kind of look at yourself in a in a slightly different way, which is very good. And you know, I am getting out there. I am talking to people, and um, it really is. It, it's it is often uncomfortable, but then when you do the uncomfortable things you then kind of realise that, okay, I've done that now and that was all right and, and that was fine. And next time I do that, then I won't be so uncomfortable.
0: For someone about to launch themselves and their business, I was curious to learn what was the biggest challenges Paula was facing?
2: I guess the challenge, and I, I don't know whether you're finding this as well. But, uh, the challenge is that, yes, you've trained as a coach, but you haven't trained as a marketer or salesperson. Yeah, All in all of this, there is, um, you know, running a business is not the same as coaching. You can have all the coaching skills and be an absolutely amazing coach, but you need to have business skills as well. It's around defining, okay, what is your ideal customer? Being very brutal with yourself. There was an article I saw recently about how, you know, your, how your gremlins can actually be very charming. They can sound very charming. And the example given was things like, you don't need to really define a narrow niche. you can you can you've got the capability to do all sorts of stuff. and and actually, no, you do. you really do need a niche. <laughs> and, and so that that was, yeah, that's been a bit of a learning process. And so actually, where I have come round and, and it's gone through iterations, but you know I'm coming round to my niche is probably and the French differentiates me probably is around inclusion and diversity and the fact that i do have experience in organizing quite a lot of events in that space so that is that i think would be my differentiator to to get conversations with my target customers and um you know whether so whether it comes down to like organizing workshops for them or whether um, that then proves the way in to provide coaching for those organizations it's all stuff I really care about doing, and actually, it's it is a very similar. It, it's all the same skill set. You're still using all the same skills. That realization or acknowledgement that everything that we've done up to this point makes us who we are, and makes and gives us that's our talents, our strengths, all of those things. What we've done so far, just because we're moving to do something different. It, it doesn't mean that those things have no value. Of course, they still have value.
0: One way new coaches can sometimes start up is working as an associate coach for another coach. I was wondering whether this was something Paula had considered as she was starting out.
2: I've I've looked into a couple of the companies that, uh, you know, have coach directories and et cetera, et cetera, and they, they seem to charge quite a lot of money Without actually providing very much work, from what I, <laughs> from what I can make yeah. out, um, I have been doing a bit of associate work for a a different agency, which sort of in, incorporates um, a few other bits of experience and expertise and that kind of stuff. And I'm very happy working with them, and hope to continue working with them. Um, but yeah, that wouldn't be the only thing I I would want to do. In not, when I say not the only thing, I don't mean this particular agency because actually I, mean, I really like them um, and I really like what they do. But um, in, in terms of working for other people is not the only thing that I want to do.
0: One of the dilemmas for coaches is whether to do coaching in person or use technology to coach clients remotely. I was curious as to what Paula's plans in this area were.
2: A mixture of both, to be honest. Face-to-face is absolutely... The richest experience, but entirely face to face would be very difficult unless you are entirely in the executive space. Um, but then, even face to face probably then would limit you geographically. It would either limit you geographically or it would limit the amount of hours that you could work if if it had to all be face to face. But and actually now, so there are so many really, really good tools for working remotely and working with people remotely and it's been quite fun actually to experiment with some of them so you know comparing the experience of using things like skype or zoom with the camera on versus using just audio either on the phone or just um whatsapp call or or whatever Um, and how that really differs how that changes the experience and, and actually I sometimes having the camera on can be a distraction and and just working over the phone actually gives you a much richer listening experience it's it's like the phone is more anonymous and sometimes that kind of anonymity can make people open up more it can feel safer so they they might say something that they might not say face to face and so and and you might Because you're focused only on one of your senses, right? In hearing, then you you pick up pauses and changes in tone of voice and breathing and that kind of thing in a slightly in a different way.
0: And what other challenges has Paula encountered as she's embarked on her own coaching journey?
2: Because it's so long since I started out in my career, (laughs) you know, it was the early '90s when I started working, and so you kind of forget. That catch twenty two that you find yourself in when you're starting out with something new, where someone kind of says, "Well, we want someone with experience, but how are you going to get the experience?" But we want someone with experience, and so that um, I'm having, I'm learning to refine my messages about myself and how I, I talk about my experience to to bring in other relevant things, and that has been. Quite a challenge, and if I'm honest, starting out that that challenge does, yeah. Sort of, I've had to work on on my self belief around that as well. In terms of yes, I am credible. Yes, I do, I will do a good job. My experience is relevant. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. When you hear other people out there saying yes, yes, I've got thousands of hours, and you think, oh, crikey, what can I offer that they can't? That they can't. And actually, what I offer is me and the sum of different sets of experiences um, and some very, very good training. Be be honest and straight about what you bring to the table.
0: A challenge some coaches might face is around valuing themselves and the service they offer and talking about money.
2: There's a difference between personal coaching, so people paying for it to themselves, versus companies paying for it. And the mm-hmm. expectations are very, very different. You speak to lots and lots of people. And yes, I'd, I'd love some coaching. I'd really like that. And then when they find out how much it would reasonably cost. And, you know, we're not talking vast um, sums mm-hmm. of money. This is a professional service that you're offering. They, they, they're kind of, oh, I thought, you yeah, know, I thought it would be less than that. And, but yet. Yeah, if you were if you were to say to a company that you were going to charge that much per hour, they probably yeah. wouldn't buy it because that price is too low, so they they think it can't be very good um, yeah. so it's it's knowing your yeah knowing that actually your messages to different audiences might be quite different um and and to have the self control not to to drop your prices. And diminish your value out of desperation. I think is is an important thing yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean the the people that I trained with, they're sort of the conversation. Some of the conversations we've been having have been around, you know, sort of the joy of of sending your first
1: contract to somebody is is ace. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and. And also
2: realizing, this is another big learn, is that there is a lead time for any activity that you do looking looking for clients. So you might do an awful lot of very busy, busy talking to people, um, finding out how things operate in their company, blah, 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 all of this kind of stuff. And if business comes out of that, you know, it's not going to be for several months. And it's... it's um, It's a challenge to keep the faith during during that whole process Uh, when you're starting out and realizing that, yes, stay focused on your inputs. To go back to, you know, kind of a more commercial um, business experience, you've got your lead indicators and your lag indicators and the number of clients signed up is is a lag indicator and and your lead indicators are, are what you are putting into the system. try and find new business and when like during our, our training course one of the mentors on the training course when we asked her you know how are things going she she have you know sort of how is it finding clients she said well I seem to spend a lot of time talking to people about coaching and significantly less time actually doing it and there was a bit of frustration coming through and it did kind of burst a few people's bubbles uh her saying that but she then kind of came around to and she admitted that she came round to understanding you don't sell it's hard to sell coaching by saying oh my goodness i'm going to revolutionize your self-awareness you're going to be you're going to know so much more about yourself everything in your life will change It's has because actually people don't want everything in their life to change what they want is help making one particular decision and saying that you're going to have this profound effect on somebody actually will probably switch them off
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so
2: you know it, it's don't be evangelical doesn't sell stuff be very very specific about you know if you if you're stuck and you don't know what to do next in a situation this could help or if you are thinking I don't know what I'm going to be doing in five years' time, and it would be good to have a direction. It will help.
0: What advice would Paula give to others starting out?
2: Something I have struggled with a lot, um, being British and coming from a certain kind of family, <laughs> is uh, number one. I have, you know, up until now in my life, I've not been very comfortable with self promotion, and not been very comfortable with saying I'm good at that. And I think if you're going to go into business, you have to be very comfortable. You have to learn to be comfortable with those things. And you also have to learn to be comfortable talking about money, and asking for money. And I think I went into this training with the um, and and in this direction with a view of I want to help people because you know sort of I'd found the experience very powerful when I was coached well, and I loved coaching other people as an internal coach. Um this level of training is a whole different set of thing and actually making it your life and needing to make a living from it, which I do, I do need to make a living, it's not just about helping people, it is a business. And to be very clear if you're going into training about what it is that you are looking to get out of it, because it's absolutely fine to go into it to look to get out of it, um, learning additional skills all of that sort of stuff. But if you're looking to make a living out of it, there's a whole lot more to it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you need to be comfortable. with talking about money. You need to be comfortable with self-promotion and all of those sorts of things. It sounds crass to say it, but that's business. And if you want to make a living from this, you are in business. It's not all just niceties and making a difference and helping people.
0: Finally, imagine if you'd been coaching for over 18 years and then find yourself having to move countries and effectively having to start building up a new business from scratch. This is exactly what happened to our third guest, Maria.
1: Uh, My name is Maria Marinaro. Uh, I was born in Italy, raised in Venezuela, and a year ago I migrated to Spain. I'm a coach. I've been a coach for 18 years now, and uh, I'm starting all over again. (laughs) It is a journey, a necessary one, but uh, it needs a lot of attention and a lot of relearning also, because when you migrate, you have to learn the new culture, adjust to it. You don't want to lose some of your values. But you have to assume values that are collectively more accepted for you to be able to navigate and achieve your goals so it's it is a very very complicated uh, experience but it is also enriching because you do learn and uh, What's happened to me, I guess I'm mean, in the position of the, of the coachee right now, <laughs> kind of being, making self-coaching to me in a way, I've begun to question some of my own beliefs that I didn't even know they were there. and They've come up in this new culture. So all in all, it's a great experience. And the challenge
0: for Maria isn't solely in getting used to the culture of her new home country.
1: Exactly. And also in my professional life, because in Venezuela, I had work, people knew me, I had a network of people, um, which is always a support emotionally and professionally. And here, I have none of that. And I have to build it. <laughs> so uh, it is a wow experience <laughs> which is something when when I work with coaches with clients it's something that we often speak about because people um lately this has been happening what some ten fifteen no ten years from from today back um people are not aware of the importance of the net of relationships you have and how they either support you or not and how it is important to nourish that network in a way that not only you are supported, but you can support others too. So it is a a personal consciousness, but it, it also refers to a consciousness of the other. Which is the only thing I think can help all of us uh, grow and transcend all the difficulties we're facing as a world right now, whether it be in your personal life, in your work life, your social life. So it's it's kind of an invitation to get out of your isolation in order to get in touch with the other, with the world, and nourish mutually.
0: One year ago, Maria arrived in Spain in February 2018. Given that a year has passed already, I asked Maria where she felt she was with rebuilding her network.
1: Oh, baby steps, baby steps. I, I am faced here with uh, the reality of the importance of Being in internet and selling yourself through the internet and posting articles, videos, and and, and things like this. This is something that I didn't need to do in Venezuela. Uh, I've been working for 18 years so my clients referred other clients and they called me so I was in a a very comfortable position. (laughs) So here uh, right now I'm learning how to do e-learning trying I haven't done much uh, on exposing myself on the internet but I am learning how to do that and I want to learn it in a way that doesn't go against some of the things I don't like about the internet, uh, you know, the overexposure of, of sorts. And uh, I want to do it, I don't know, it, it has to be coherent with my, with my feelings, with my way of approaching other people. I'm a very um I like the presence of uh, the presence of a person. I can talk with you for instance over the net but I would much rather see you in person and talk to you. I'm I'm that kind of person. But I've overcome that difficulty. <laughs> so um but it is a process of free learning and not going against me in things that are very valuable to me so baby steps right now it's it's baby steps (laughs) what i've done so far is create a blog i've written two uh, short articles in this blog and i've published them in uh, linkedin and in facebook i guess i haven't yet developed Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, But the most important thing is I write these things. It's an exercise more for me than anything because I really, all the people that are connected to me over the internet are people who are in Venezuela and they can nourish from what I publish but they can't give me a job. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, yeah, so it is an exercise for me to learn and bit by bit build the connections with people. I go a lot to uh, conferences, uh, to listen to people who have important things to say, and and I start to talk to people in those uh, conferences. So that I begin to know other people and other people realise that I exist in Spain. (laughs) So it is as if I had never done coaching before, really. It is as day one after I graduated as a coach. (laughs)
0: Aside from building a network in Spain, I was curious about what other differences and challenges Maria has encountered.
1: Coaching in Spain is not a well, people here don't know much coaching and they have a lot of prejudice also against it. The companies that most use it are multinational companies, but the Spanish companies don't see it as a useful tool. Uh, So the offer uh, you can make here and that I am making here is to help people Uh, develop organizational skills in terms of teamwork, leadership, feedback. As opposed to how I was working in Venezuela, where I did all these things, coaching is very well known in Venezuela and much used because it does give results not only to the companies, but also to the people who grow as people but here i have to be more focused on on skill development than on personal growth along with the skill development which is the ideal case but as a coach i have to go with the need and the possibilities of the client really so i am adjusting to that right now and i do have a couple of life coaches People who are in a crossroads in their lives, and since I've had those <laughs> myself, I I I I feel I can be of uh, kind of a witness to their process and support them, and also believing that you, in fact, can go beyond the difficulty and and. Uh, and, and achieve that, what you're seeking, even if you don't know what it is yet. So it's kind of um, a, coach, a life coaching that's right now with the clients that I have, which are two, that's more oriented to recovering uh, faith in their possibilities and not be blinded by fear. Hmm? As coaches, we're
0: sometimes told we need to be comfortable with uncertainty and of not having the answers. Nothing could be more true for Maria at this moment in time.
1: One of the things I keep saying when my friends call me from Venezuela and ask me how I am, I tell them, remember when we were young and we spoke about how wonderful it would be to live in uncertainty? And we read, you know, we read uh, the Tao of Physics and we were struck by quantum physics and all. It teaches us, which really, it really does teach you many things. But reading it is one thing and leaving it is another. (laughs) It's it's really an experience and it hurts. It does hurt uh, of um, letting go because almost... Nothing of what I've done is now useful. It's not, it's, not, it's not because this is a whole other country. And I'm at, at times I feel uh, empty in the sense that I really don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm doing baby steps. But I ask myself, how am I going to make it? And the only thing I know is that I have to keep making baby steps. <laughs> so you have to hold, the, not the faith, because it's not a matter of faith. It's, like, it's more like grounding yourself into your soul, perhaps, and, uh, and let the answers come. Because in my head, with what I know, I cannot go around it. So when they say that you can be reborn, I understand what that means now. Because it does really mean letting go. Maria, that way worked in Venezuela, but it doesn't work here. Um, so it is a, a life challenge, really, no? professionally and, and personally. Mm. As
0: Maria talks about rebirth, I wondered whether all these baby steps will eventually help her reach a place where, with all her own experiences, she'll be able to come back even stronger as she rebuilds her business.
1: Yeah, we always say in coaching, you can never help your client beyond the point where you have gone yourself. Because you wouldn't know how to hold such a situation in the coaching environment with your client. So I guess this gives me opportunities to help people in other ways. Yeah. So some of the, um, of, you know, hints of new things that are coming up actually have to do, for example, with helping women, which is something I, I hadn't thought of before, even though I, I do feel for the suffering of women as I've suffered myself. But here in Spain, there is a lot of uh, violence of men against women. And uh, this is a very uh, patriarchal culture. And I, and I don't see men as enemies myself. But I do see here how. Men, I'm speaking generally, of course, there are exceptions, but in general, even the law doesn't uh, favor women when they are supposed to be helped. Um, So I'm asking myself, how can I help these women realize the power they have in femininity and how femininity can really help solve some of the problems in this world because women as mothers tend to be able to look from above the situations and we are very relational and we talk even with stones, you know, (laughs) so. So I think there, there is a power in, in feminine values that men also have, but that culture doesn't allow for them to express those values generally. So I'm seeing a way through that because here, for instance, I'm 57 years old and um, the interviews I've had for coaching, in-company coaching, uh, meaning the company employs me to be an internal coach that employer employees come to and etc you can uh, develop work there and they haven't hired me because of my age um this is very shocking because in venezuela you work until you want to and uh, at 57 56 i got here when i was 56 i I could be employed by anyone, but here that is not the case, and um, and I'm wondering, okay, what what does this mean? You know, it, it even makes me wonder. the The road is not to be an an employee, but to develop my own uh, my own idea here, and perhaps it will not be. Uh, organizational coaching, but as I say, maybe I will work with women, families. I don't know <laughs> it's 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 just uh, what I see in the horizon. I haven't sunk into it yet, but what advice
0: would have helped Maria when she first started out as a coach?
1: One advice that i that would have helped me when I started was that... The questions do matter in coaching, but they also don't. Because <laughs> uh, I remember I was so obsessed with how to make the most powerful question, because that's what you were taught, that, you know, making powerful questions and blah, blah, blah. And much emphasis was made on that. Um and i was afraid not to make the powerful question and lose the client and all this stuff and what really really matters is your relationship with your client the questions come up naturally as you develop your listening from the head and from the heart and you it's it's um and actually in the end after 18 years um I when the coaching is more really a conversation where you are with the other and to be with somebody is a whole uh experience of also letting go because um I remember when I had a ses- a coaching session with a client. <clears throat> that was the first session, that was many, many years ago, the first session where I felt at ease with the client and I, and I hadn't prepared anything. I just received them and listened to him and we worked for almost a year together. And it was because I didn't make for myself or my client any expectations. I dispose myself to just be with the client. So I, I think that's what makes it possible for the client to go beyond his or her limitations and achieve uh, what they want. And also sometimes, because it's not true that we always overcome our limitations, Sometimes we really cannot. And um, if you are with your client, you can hold that for them, with them, so that they accept that and look for other possibilities and not insist where it is really not not possible, you know, because you do want to see them succeed and achieve and... You want people to be well, and uh, but no, 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 no. Sometimes it doesn't go that way.
0: Finally, I asked Maria how long did she think it would take for her to re-establish herself and her network?
1: Perhaps this year will be the year of setting up, a, let me call it, a platform that will put me in touch with people. So that I can begin to to have clients this year. This year, uh, what time this year? I don't know. I'm giving myself the entire year <laughs> because, yeah, because um, otherwise it's a pressure I cannot I cannot hold because it's the reality doesn't allow for a shorter period, really
0: that wraps up our full-length episode for this month i'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to josh paula and maria for sharing so openly their journeys and experiences in the show notes you'll find the contact details for each of them and i wish them every success on their own journeys if you have a coaching story or experience that you'd like to share on a future episode then please don't hesitate to get in touch I can be reached via email at stephen at stephenclements.ie and that's Stephen with a PH. Show notes and further information can be found on my website at stephenclements.ie forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time, don't
1: forget, stay curious.